0: Go
1: ahead. Okay, welcome back everyone. We're on uh, episode four now of the PhD podcast hosted by uh, Harjeev and myself, Jason Abedizian. We have our first PhD student actually from uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas on today where Harjeev and I are completing our PhD. Uh, Julia Maeda uh, is joining us. She's a PhD student in uh, the psychology program. Uh, Harjeev and I actually took a course with her, uh, I think it was Last fall right Julia was it was it fall was it, it was a site course or Jeev and I have kind of branched into some of the, the other departments to kind of get a holistic view of some of the things that we're uh, studying Julia's research in her research interests is, aligns really well with some of the stuff that we're doing with the concussion uh, specific work and I know she'll speak a lot on that but uh, thanks for joining us today Julia we really appreciate you having you on and hopefully uh, things are going well on your end as we kind of you know transition back into some level of abnormally here. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on, I appreciate it.
1: So Julia, what we kind of do is with this podcast is, um, you know, because we have a pretty wide-reaching audience of various clinicians, you know, uh, coaches, practitioners, all sorts of people related to, um, you know, the study of human movement, the study of the, you know, cognitive aspects behind, you know, motor learning, motor performance. So if you could just give us a background in terms of, you know, where you came from, you know, leading up to your studies at UNLV and some of the things that you're doing currently at UNLV.
2: Sure. Um, So I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, um, and I went to undergrad at Loyola University, New Orleans, um, and got a bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, While I was there, I was really lucky to have um, a very great mentor, Dr. Janet Matthews, who really helped me to uh, pursue graduate training in psychology. Um, So after I graduated from Loyola, I took a post-bac year, um, which is pretty common in psychology and um, some of the other healthcare fields. Basically a year where you do either research or clinical work related to what you want to pursue your graduate degree in. So I spent a year working as a neuropsychology technician um, doing cognitive assessment at an outpatient center in Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana, under Dr. Darlene Namath. Um, It was a great experience, and that's really where my interest in neuropsychology uh, began to grow. So neuropsychology is the uh, study of brain behavior relationship. Um, And so I specifically remember while I was working there, I was working with an older gentleman um, who was a survivor of West Nile encephalitis. Um, so, uh, encephalitis is basically when the brain swells, and in his case, it was in response to a West Nile cephali- uh, infection from a mosquito bite. Um, so, he was a really, really sweet and caring man. Um, I really loved working with him, but he also had a lot of functional difficulties as the result uh, as a result of being infected. Um, so my work with him and with a number of other patients at that um, center got me to start really developing an interest in acquired brain injury like TBI and stroke or even uh, sport concussion, which is what I work with now um, in my research. So uh, I started looking at applying to Ph.D. programs um, and I ended up coming to UNLV to work with uh, Dr. Dan, Al- Dan Allen. Um, so my first year at UNLV, um, Dr. Allen was uh, collaborating with Brad Donahue, um, Dr. Brad Donahue in the psychology department. He had an R01 grant uh, investigating uh, intervention program for athletes at the collegiate level. So the program was called the Optimum Performance Program in Sports or the TOPS program. Um, and it's actually been shown to be very efficacious for uh, reducing mental health, Uh, stigma for athletes and also increasing optimal performance in sport by um, dealing with things like performance anxiety, depressive symptoms, things like that. Um, So as a part of that project, I did blinded assessments for the outcome measures. um, And that was where I really started to get interested in athlete culture and resilience and kind of the effects that injuries can have on an athlete's identity and also on their career Uh, So my my thesis work actually focused on more of the psychosocial um, aspects of athlete stressors, and now my current research focuses on sport concussion. Um, So my dissertation work, we have a collaboration with some community partners, Dr. Consora and Dr. Ross at the Center for Applied Neuroscience here in Las Vegas, Um, So they've been clinically managing sport concussion for most, if not all of the high schools in uh, Nevada for the last 10 or so years. Um, For more of the rural areas, they obviously utilize telehealth. Um, But their clinical database of sport concussion assessments has um, over 70,000 cases. Uh, Yeah, so that's become my dissertation work. And my current research interest is kind of in this overarching sport concussion assessment and management. Um, aspect.
1: What are uh, what are some of your findings so far from from some of your work? And like maybe uh, if you could share like specifically like some of the pieces of your dissertation work that you're that you're looking at from these aspects.
2: Sure. Um, so I'm doing a three paper dissertation, and the overarching theme of my dissertation is psychometrics, um, which is the study of psychological and cognitive uh, assessment and measurement. So cognitive testing and kind of the reliability and validity of that test, um, or of these tests that we utilize. So my different papers that I'm working on for my dissertation, one is looking at uh, performance validity. So performance validity is the ability of psychological and cognitive tests to be able to um, assess whether someone is putting forth their full effort. Um, And so there is some evidence that athletes who have specific um, disorders such as ADHD or learning disabilities may be more likely to be flagged as low effort, not because of actual low effort, but possibly more so due to the fact that their performance is lowered because of attentional or reading problems. Um, So my first paper focused on that and has looked at um, the kind of differences between uh, people who have these neurodevelopmental disorders and those who don't and whether um, they're kind of being classified as low effort more often than those with um, without a disorder. And that is what we're seeing so far. So perhaps there are more sensitive or more um, accurate assessments uh, of performance validity for these athletes. Um, My second dissertation paper is looking at factor analysis. So the factor structure of a commonly utilized sport concussion assessment called the impact. Um, so the idea with uh, factor analysis is you basically are looking at whether the test is measuring the cognitive domains that we think it is um, and whether those can be um, improved or whether they're good the way they are um, to make sure that our assessments are really um, strong in making our return to play decisions. And then my last dissertation paper um, is focused on cluster analysis and looking at symptom profiles for athletes uh, post-concussion and seeing whether those can predict athletes who have this kind of complicated recovery um, where their symptoms just don't go away. Um, So that's my current dissertation work.
1: It sounds pretty expansive. Sounds like you've probably sifted through a lot of data. I imagine some pretty large data sets. Um, that's great stuff. And like, like I said, this really aligns well with, uh, some of the work that I'm doing here and relating, you know, concussion to, to lower extremity risk and whether or not some of the tools that, you know, perhaps an individual like yourself would use to assess, Mm -hmm. you know, cognitive performance, whether there's relationships to, you know, subsequent injury risk. So I think it's really exciting work that that you do, Julia. And, you know, I know, I'll be really curious as you kind of move forward and, your dissertation work and beyond, you know, your your findings for this. Yeah, definitely. So one of the one of the things that uh, we ask our guests uh, when they come onto this to our podcast is to share, you know, an influential article that um, you know has influenced their work or you know getting started into their PhD. And Julia shared with us um, an article called "Collegiate Student Athletes with History of ADHD or Academic Difficulties Are More Likely to Produce." An invalid protocol on uh, baseline impact testing. Julia, if you wouldn't mind, could you uh, you know short of, sort of share, share with uh, the audience you know some of the findings from this study and some of like the clinical implications and perhaps touch on you know how this impacts you know some of the work that, that you're doing right now
2: Sure. Um, So this article actually came out right around around the time that I was working on my dissertation proposal. And so I've always had an interest in psychometrics, um, that broad area. Um, But my dissertation work had already kind of started to focus on psychometrics and performance validity. So when this article came out, um, it looked at the different rates of effort classification Based on these demographic factors, such as the pre existing attention or learning dif- uh, difficulties, as well as other academic difficulties. Um, so, overall, in cognitive assessment, it's very important that we are measuring what we think we're measuring and that assessments are equitable across groups um, so that there's not perhaps a bias in uh, classification rates for a specific group based on something that's not related to what we're assessing. Um, So this article was one of the first to actually look at uh, invalid protocols, which is that kind of low effort flagging, flags and assessments that this athlete probably wasn't doing their best. Um, So this was the first one that looked at invalid protocols in athletes with ADHD and these academic difficulties. They basically found that um, compared to athletes without attention learning difficulties or academic difficulties, that these um, athletes were being uh, more more likely to have this kind of flag for low effort. Um, And there were some some individual differences between the ADHD and the learning disorders um, specifically that's kind of, I think, outside of the scope of this general discussion, but Overall, we can clearly see that those um, with ADHD and these academic troubles are having more difficulty with this test, um, which needs to be accounted for when you make clinical interpretation to determine post concussion return to play timelines. Um,
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, It kind of holds well with our work as well in terms of the motor learning stuff. We see a lot in terms of, you know, how. Uh, either initial um, sort of um, ability levels affect uh, just learning in general. Um, so yeah. Uh, so one question that I had from uh, from reading this article was um, the article mentioned that medication was not controlled for during impact testing. So how would uh, how would medication influence this testing performance and interpretation of the results that they ended up uh, having?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, So medication use for disorders such as ADHD overall help to reduce the effect of um, attentional symptoms or problems with attention on performance. So whether that's performance in a job or in school or on a baseline concussion test like the impact. Um, So Broadly, the great thing about the impact um, is that it's a very brief assessment. So it's only about 30 minutes. It could be administered in a group setting. um, So you can get a lot of data about a lot of athletes in a very short and relatively cost effective um, amount of time. Um, So because of that, there's kind of this plethora of clinical data and this archival data from athletes who have been assessed in a clinical population rather than for research specifically. Um, so this is great because it's more of a naturalistic setting um, that we can kind of look and see how these things are actually playing out in the real world rather than in a lab setting, which is sometimes can be a bit fabricated. Um, so obviously naturalistic types of data collection do have um, pros and they have cons. Um, but one of the cons with this type of naturalistic data is that we aren't specifically able to look and see uh, the types of information that we might want about the clinical subjects in the uh, research. So this is actually kind of common across the impact, uh, the naturalistic impact um, assessment research that I've seen is that we're not able to find whether athletes were on medication because either they didn't report it or they inconsistently reported it. Um, whereas if you were in a clinical setting, you would know what medication they're on. Um, so I think, and there actually have been a few investigations into the effects of medication use for ADHD on impact performance. Um, most of those show that the medication do, uh, medications do reduce the attentional problems. Um, so performance has increased a bit. Um, Based on clinical uh, work with ADHD, um, it's pretty common for athletes and non-athletes alike to have medication because it is a pretty effective way of remediating some of those attentional problems. Um, So in a naturalistic sample like this, we can assume that a good portion of those athletes were probably on medication at the time of testing. Uh, So that's probably why they... uh, may have had some non-significant results or results that neared significance for the ADHD group specifically um, compared to the academic difficulties group, which was less likely to be medicated. And we actually see this in our research as well. So we see this kind of graduated level of difficulty, ADHD having more difficulty than no ADHD, but then um, the athletes with comorbid ADHD and a learning disability having even more problem than those with ADHD alone. Um, so medication definitely is something that ideally we would want to control for. Um, but we can see that even with the athletes, probably a good portion of them being on medication, we still see these differences.
1: Well, that's really I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it, it speaks to making sure like at, at a baseline assessment, we have all the pertinent information because if we didn't you know have the information that you know, athlete X is you know on medication for ADHD, and then at our follow up assessment, then we say, oh, now we just realize, you know what I mean? It could mm-hmm. it influence interpretation. Just a little side question that I had, Julia, is um, I'm not sure how how deep into the literature you've dived in this, but what what's the evidence like for athletes with like history of ADHD or like learning disabilities in terms of like future risk for like concussion related injury are they at like a higher risk for these for these types of injuries initially compared to athletes who don't have these um certain disorders?
2: Right. No, I'm glad you asked because that is actually a very consistent um, and heavily researched uh, area within concussion assessment. Um, and you're right, athletes with ADHD and these learning problems are at increased risk for concussion. Um, Depending on what article you look at and what um, comparison groups they used, I've seen anywhere from, uh, you know, one and a half times as likely to three or four times as likely to have a concussion um, at different levels of play, whether that's high school, college, um, et cetera.
1: What are, like, from from that research, like, what are some of the theories as to, like, why? Um, Is it just struggling with being able to like process that environmental stimuli while they're doing it, and they put themselves at like higher risk for these um, like injury type activities. Like what is, what's some of the theories as to, as to why that, that might be the case?
2: Right. Um, I think the most, uh, the most postulating I've seen about um, theories for why we see these increased risks have been about ADHD. Um, so, perhaps because there is an attention deficit. There is an attention deficit not only to cognitive performance, but also like your own body and how your body is interacting with the environment, particularly if you have maybe an inattention um, primary focus, because you can have either hyperactivity as a primary um, clinical symptom or inattention. So that's one of the theories that I've seen. And I, you know, it's been long enough since I've read uh, an article on that, um, and I've slept between now and then. So I don't remember what they said about uh, learning disabilities, but I know that they're, they are also at increased risk.
0: That's really interesting. Along these lines, um, the paper recommended that uh, there be a separate norm uh, developed for conditions as ADHD and other learning disorders. Uh, mm-hmm. how, would that, how would that look? Uh, and so what are the pros and cons of doing so? Um, and uh, you know, one of the questions we had was, Uh, Would a modified computerized neurocognitive test be actually useful uh, in this case?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So there are actually current separate norms for athletes with ADHD and LD, um, which is great. And it actually was in response to some of this research uh, coming out that there were differences on the cognitive performance aspect of it. Um, In sport concussion assessment, we, do cognitive testing a little bit differently than we typically do in other uh, disorders like dementia, for example. So while ideally it would be best if everyone had a baseline test and we could compare you, you know, when you're 65, we could compare you to your 45 year old self um, to see what has changed about you. uh, That's not always the case. And we often use norms Um, which is where we compare you to the average joe who also took this test for example to see where you fall Um, but because norms are a normative distribution we know that some people may be more high uh, higher on that normal normative distribution or lower Um, so because sport concussion is such kind of a rapid disorder so you know you get a head impact, you get a sport concussion and your symptoms um, may be really bad for two weeks, but then they usually resolve. So we have to make these kind of very quick decisions clinically about when you're ready to return to play. Um, So in sport concussion, it's much more common to have a baseline for an athlete. So that instead of comparing that athlete to the norm so maybe that athlete is a low performer in general or a high performer in general compared to uh, the average Joe Um, but if we have a baseline for that athlete we can do a within athlete comparison and say when are they returning to their unique pre-concussion levels Um, so that was a little bit roundabout so I'll get back to your question Um,
1: with that was good information to have good information for. who are unaware of you know some of the clinical underpinnings that go into concussion management i'm sure there'll be people listening who you know they'll they'll see impact testing being thrown around they'll see you know this sort of stuff but without actually understanding what goes into making these clinical decisions um kind of leaves people out in the woods with some of this stuff so it's really good information that you're that you're sharing with us right now
2: right and it's also very important um that people understand why baseline testing is important because it seems like well I don't have any problems right now. I just want to go to practice. Why do I have to take this test first? Um, but if we don't have a baseline and an athlete does get a concussion, we have to make much more cautious return to play decisions because we don't know where their pre-concussion levels were. So we don't want to return them to play too soon and put them at risk for a secondary injury. Um, But with athletes with ADHD and LD specifically, um, there are norms for them, but based on this um, within athlete comparison, we want to use their own testing. So some of the work that we are doing right now in my lab, um, obviously we can't do it right now because of COVID, but um, we're hoping to start that back up soon is looking to see whether there are more um, sensitive or more accurate. Uh, performance validity indicators for these athletes with ADHD and LD um, so that the test we're, we're able to make better clinical decisions um, with regard to whether they were putting forth their best performance to have a valid baseline to be able to make these return to play decisions. So it won't necessarily be a changing of the test itself, but probably a more of a backup house. What indicators do we look at to determine um, whether this is the best best uh, uh, assessment or estimate of their performance.
1: It's good. It's really good information to have. Uh, Speaking to the importance of baseline testing to be able to make our, uh, the most accurate comparisons, because we look at it similarly from, you know, I think about it from like an ACL screening thing. If we don't have, you know, a baseline assessment pre ACL injury, how can we, you know, determine when this athlete is—you know—their quadricep muscle is is fully functioning, or you know, right. their landing mechanics are back to you know pre-injury level. If we don't have that; we're kind of in a sense guessing. You know, the normative data is great, but at the same time, you know, each person is unique, and they have their own you know individual characteristics and different things like that. So, good information, Julia. Thanks for for sharing that.
0: Yeah, I'm right. I'm curious just uh, for from both of you, um, is impact testing something that's, uh, um, uh, like not mandated, but done preseason, uh, or is that just kind of goes, varies from school to school or, uh, I mean, obviously colleges probably have a little more, uh, a little more resources to do this type of testing, but like, I'm sure high schools probably don't uh, necessarily do this preseason and postseason. Um, is that something
1: you guys are, are, are aware of? I think Julia could probably speak a little bit more more to this than, than I could. So if you wouldn't mind, Julia.
2: Yeah. Um, so the impact is the most commonly used uh, assessment for sport concussion. And I've spoken about some of the benefits of it. It's quick. Um, it's easy to administer. It's relatively cost effective. And you get a lot of good uh, clinical data. Um, so it's not kind of uh, cumbersome or prohibitive. Uh, Like some of our maybe full, if you needed to do a full day neuropsych evaluation, that would be a bit more prohibitive if you wanted to do it for, um, you know, every athlete playing a sport. The impact is used by, um, and concussion protocols, including baseline testing, um, are utilized by um, most professional sports organizations, um, such as uh, the NFL, the hockey, uh, hockey league, Here in the United States, Um, and we're kind of seeing this trickle down effect from rule changes for sport at the um, professional level to collegiate and down to high school eventually. So, we're also seeing that with uh, concussion protocols and baseline testing down to the high school level. And I think here in Nevada, we are um, uh, fortunate that we have almost all high schools are mandated to have
0: preseason.
1: yeah
2: Yeah, you're right it's not that case um everywhere though Mm
1: -hmm. it seems like julia from from my perspective and and most of the research that i'd read that you know Mm -hmm. most of the cognitive research is computer-based now with impact and maybe some other uh protocols but um if you wouldn't mind sharing are there other ways that you know sports teams or just individuals can assess cognition maybe speak on like if uh some of the paper and pencil exams and maybe um, if you wouldn't mind speaking on like, what are some of the pros and cons with using like a paper and pencil based assessment as compared to like a computerized uh, type of assessment?
2: Yeah. So um, I think sport concussion is a bit unique and that most of the testing is computerized at this point. Um, broadly across neuropsychology and cognitive testing in general, most of our tests are pe- paper and pencil based. Um, and there is, a lot of debate in the field about um, which is better. Is computerized testing better? Is paper and pencil better? Um, and there's a lot of research being conducted on the psychometric properties. So that reliability and validity of both methods of assessment. Um, so I am definitely following that research. Um, and I think it'll be interesting as we see further advances in technology, um, whether the cognitive testing will continue to move in that direction. Um, but I think that technology in general may be a way to advance our understanding of uh, functioning in different environments uh, rather than hinder it. So hopefully we'll kind of see this push towards more computerized testing, um, assuming that it's it's equivalent um, and just as good as our paper and pencil testing, of course.
0: Uh, yeah, that's pretty, I know there's a lot of different types of ways out there. It's pretty interesting to see um, how varied they are in terms of their actual application. Um, so Julia, what, uh, what current or future research studies are, are going on in your lab? I know you mentioned a little bit um, and uh, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what future research interests you have uh, and why.
2: Sure. Um, So I spoke about my dissertation overall looking at the psychometric properties of sport concussion assessment, specifically the impact. Um, We've also done uh, a few different projects also with the impact, um, looking at the cognitive performance of athletes with high functioning autism. Um, Because we're fortunate enough to have such a large sample uh, from our community partners at the Center um, for Cognitive neuroscience. Um, we, um, what am I saying? The um, we have a large sample of autism uh, that is not as readily available in some smaller samples because autism is not as common um, of a diagnosis, for example, as ADHD is. So we've looked at um, that aspect of cognition and performance for sport concussion. Um, We also are working on that uh, project to hopefully have more sensitive and accurate measures for performance validity for athletes with neurodevelopmental disorders. But we've also looked at equitable testing um, across uh, different aspects of demographic characteristics, such as language. Um, So athletes right now can uh, choose which language they want to take the impact in. For example, they can take it in English or in Spanish. Um, And so we've looked at whether you're Uh, bilingual or monolingual and what uh, language you choose to take the impact in, does that uh, change how you perform on it? Um, Let's see. And I think some of the future work that uh, we're going to look at and that I also want to continue to work on is um, increasing the reliability of this kind of serial cognitive assessment, Um, because it is important. And I think as technology continues to advance, we will be able to get this, uh, kind of baseline and and more frequent assessment model across different uh, disorders as well, not just with sport concussion.
1: That's really, that's really cool. It seems like your lab is quite busy with with the data that you guys already have and looking at different constructs of these tests is really fascinating and something that really piques my interest. How many, how much longer do you have, uh, at UNLV? Like what's your timeline going forward?
2: Right. Um, so psychology in general, so to become a psychologist, you have to do uh, between four and five years in uh, in school doing, you know, classwork and clinical rotations. Uh, then we do a one year internship, which is very similar to a medical residency. It's the same match process. Um, it's just rather than being a long residency, we do a one year internship. Um, And then we also go on and do two years of uh, postdoctoral fellowship. So I am in (laughs) year four out of five. Um, So I'll be applying for that, that matched internship this fall. And um, then I'll continue on from there. So I'm a little bit over halfway. (laughs) You
1: know, well, that's exciting. I mean, based on the conversations that, that we just had here, you know, you have a very deep knowledge base on, on your research and, you know, how you can apply that to, to practice. And it's been, it's been really great to to learn more from you. I know I've taken a lot away in this, this last half hour that we've chatted, uh, but just kind of to wrap things up here, Julia, one of the things that that we ask our guests at the, at the end of a, in our chats is that, you know, what's something, what's one practical takeaway that, you know, a clinician, a practitioner, or a coach um, what can they take away from from your expertise and your knowledge base that they could, you know, just something to be aware of as as they're going forward? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, overall, in healthcare specifically, our diagnostic tests are not perfect. Um, I don't think this is unique to cancer screening or sport concussion screening or any of the other types of assessments uh, or screens that we might do for different conditions. Um, And I think it's easy to kind of fall into this, well, the test is positive, so that means this, um, and kind of get into that confirmation bias almost a little bit as a clinician. Um, And some of, uh, I think the thing that I've learned most from my research specifically is kind of to have this healthy dose of caution in clinical interpretation. Um, So to think about what other factors might be influencing performance rather than um, whatever the... Basically, I, I think about it as you want to rule all other things out to have more clinical confidence in what you're diagnosing or what interpretation you're making. Um, and I think we can see that from this article as well. Um, you know, attention problems can also impact performance. Um, and I think it's important just to keep that kind of healthy skepticism uh, to make sure that we're not over interpreting uh, our assessments.
1: It's, it's really great stuff. Like I said, I'm, I'm sure Harjeev can say the same as well, but we're, yeah. you, know, since we, you know, we're both finishing up we're all three of us are wrapping up our PhDs here in the yeah. near future. I think Harjeev and I and, you know, listeners as well would be really curious as, as you move forward in, in your work and your lab's work and seeing what you guys find because, you know, concussions aren't going to go away, you know, at the end of the day. You can put a helmet on them and, you know, this technology and it'll reduce the risk, but at the end of the day, we can't prevent it. From happening. You know, as smart as, you know, these individuals are and the knowledge base that we're having can't stop the brain from moving within, within the skull, no matter what apparatus you put on it. So having this, this knowledge base of, you know, making the most informed decisions possible to keep these athletes safe as they're returning from these types of injuries is, is really important. And concussions have gotten, you know, a lot of notoriety in the last decade or so. It's a really hot topic now, especially in your you know, your contact specific sports, just as soccer football, you know, things like that. So thanks again, Julia, for having, for, you know, taking the time to, to being honest and, and sharing your knowledge with us. It was, it was a great chat with you.
2: Yeah, thank you guys.
1: Thanks again.
0: All right, take care.